This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, this is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad, but not for your ears, for your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes, you've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey Dude, good to go to. Dramatic pause. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Dramatic pause is a go-to for podcasters, presidents, and radio voiceovers. It makes you look really smart, even if you're not. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Dude Shoes. Light, comfy, good to go to. Hello there and welcome again to Cottage Talk. This is Emilio Dinello and today we are recording the second part of the Fulham 2018-19 end of season review and we'll be going through the results of the two surveys that all our fans and listeners around the world completed over the last week or so. Uh, We literally had a truly staggering number of responses from all our fans and listeners and I can't thank each of you enough for giving up your precious time for voting on both surveys. You know the response rate was truly incredible so on behalf of College Talk and all our listeners around the world, thank you so much for uh, investing your time. And I look forward to discussing these results with our co-hosts this evening. So um, so first and foremost, Russ, Russ Goldman, co-host this evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Emilio. Look forward to doing this with you. Okay, nice to have you on. Um, Mike, Mike Gregg, welcome welcome back. Obviously, the three of us, or four of us, actually did the show a couple of weeks ago where we actually reflected on the, the see what went wrong with the season. But it's good to have you back, Mike, to talk about the results of the survey. Yeah, hi Emilio, hi Russ, hi Scott. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. There were some interesting results, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a different way to review a season, isn't it? Absolutely, and uh, yeah, we could, there's a lot of talking points that I want to sort of cover off during the, the during the course of the show. And obviously, Scott from Fulham, welcome back as well. 
Hello, Emilio. Hello, all. Good to be back on to do this second part. Looking forward to it. Great, thank you. And it's quite incidental that today that we're, we're recording this on the first anniversary of our playoff victory at Wembley last year. And, and before we start our end of season awards review, can we, I literally want to reflect on, on that amazing victory 12 months ago to the day and sort of what, it, what experiences we took away from that day. You know, for many, it was probably the most highlight of their Fulham careers in terms of watching the team through, through the country and through Europe in, on, in, in the Europa League and so forth. It was an incredible day for all our fans. I just want to just get a quick thought from each of you. So, Russ, obviously, you made the long flight over from the US to the game. Tell me what you remember from the big day 12 months ago. We, at this moment, we're, I remember having a drink and we were celebrating that victory. That's right. And uh, it's uh, wonderful to look back. And I'm glad that's how we're starting the show, Emilio, because uh, I can remember like it was yesterday, getting on an overnight flight, flying through the night, barely sleeping and then you meeting me at the airport and taking me to your house and then hours later we're on our way to Wembley and uh, it was just quite amazing to get there the walk up to Wembley is something I will never forget I've done that before but this was very different and uh, it was just an amazing day night and celebration afterwards something that will stick with me throughout my life and uh, I was thinking about this beforehand was this the highlight of me being a fan and I would have to say this goes hand in hand with the Europa League final getting to the final and and Hamburg and Juventus it's hard to put one over any of these other highlight matches but being there was just so special and something like I said will just be with me and uh, I'm glad that I was able to spend it with you Emilio and and so many others and and of course I Got to meet up with Mike once again. It was, it was just so unbelievable to see all those foam supporters all together and to watch it play out the way it did was just amazing. Yeah, it, was, it was great to have you there. I just remember that blazing heat. It was a very hot, humid afternoon. And all I can remember walking up towards Wembley, just, just the white everywhere, and especially inside the stadium. And Mike, over to you, just... You know, what is what what is your favorite memory of that of that day? I'm sure there's so many that we can probably do a whole show on this. But tell me what really stood out for you. What what do you take away for the rest of your life from that amazing victory? Was it your most memorable game as a Fulham fan? Certainly the most uh, memorable event and everything leading up to it. Uh, was involved in lots of stuff leading up to it. And, but for me, it was it was the day as a whole. It was the you know, it was the event as such. But for me, it was being with my dad, his other son. My wife came with me. It was meeting up with yourselves as well after the game. And, uh, you know, seeing so many happy Fulham fans, the white wall, complete strangers <laughs> coming up to me for some reason knew who I was and thanking them for getting tickets, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so it's, it's the day. It's not a goal. It's not a celebration or anything like that. It's just, the mm. whole event saved in that sunshine. Exactly. It, it, you know, what was quite clear to me is just the way the whole Fulham community, the whole Fulham family sort of stuck together. You know, we were all there as one big happy family, 30, 40, 35, 40,000 Fulham fans all in one stadium, all all very nervous going into the game, confident as well. There was an element of confidence from my part, but it's just, just you know, it's, I, I can't believe 12 months have elapsed. A lot has happened since then. I've got married since since that day and that only seemed like yesterday and so it's just you know Scott what do you take away from that from that day what 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 memories do you take away 
Yeah, I mean, we don't. I mean, it's Fulham fans. We we've got to take these kind of games as you know, sort of, or, or keep them close to us because we don't get many. You know, um, I've always <laughs> remembered that the uh, you know, the FA Cup final and stuff, and um, you know, we're lucky enough to both be out um, in Hamburg. Um, but I think obviously Wembley tops it. Just I think for being at Wembley because you know we we've not been back there for so long, um, and also getting the win as well. I mean, I live um, quite close to Kevin Eston. I think you guys may know. Uh, we live in West Malling. We kind of travelled in. Um, and, you know, I mean, normally from Maidstone, that kind of area, you don't really get to see a lot of Fulham fans. But walking out the I Street, there was another couple of guys going who joined us on the train going on the way down. And it sort of picks up momentum on the way down. Mm. Um, pick them out easy because all had white shirts on, you know, the, the white wall effect. You know, it got around everyone and uh, that was the kind of theme. I mean, we, I mean, we decided to drink out of um, area first, just um, a bit away from Wembley. We went over to an Irish pub over there, and it was still full of Villa fans. <clears throat> and like yourself, I mean, there was an air of arrogance about us. I think, um, especially with me, I just, I just felt that we we were unstoppable that season. Mm. Um, you know, and the Villa fans were talking to us, and they were pretty confident. I was just like, nah, you're not, you're not coming away with this. We, you know, we are. So it's, it's very rare for Fulham fans to, to be like that. And it just, you know, the whole day was walking up to Wembley. You know, it was rammed, wasn't it? You couldn't get in the pubs, you know, that bus coming past with you know, the flags. And we, we ended up drinking outside um, off-licence in the end. The, the owners were bringing cans of beer out because people just couldn't <laughs> up. And, you know, sort of coming up to Wembley and going up them sort of escalators and stuff. Um, you know, and I was with John. You know, John who does a lot of the design work yes. for Friends of Fulham, I got him tickets with his son. They 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 come down from Nottingham for the day, and we all sort of sat together. And you know, Fulham delivered. They done their usual with a doy being sent off. They couldn't you know make it um, sort of one hundred percent enjoyable that to to get us on the edge of us <laughs> stage. Um, yeah, and I mean it, it was a great day, one that stick with me. Um, you know, regardless of the poor sort of reason, um, I think that's one that stick with a lot of fans. Absolutely, you know, there's always a, you know, obviously there's a Fulham Juventus game that we've all talked at length and many times in the past as well, you know, that's that's close in people's memory, the victory of Hamburg, and so there are di- many different moments, and I just, you know, we can savour that for, for, for the remainder of our lives, and, you know, I'll just take away that that victory, we hung on towards you, and that was another thing that sort of, you know, when, when Dennis got sent off, I actually, you know, there was an element of me thinking, that's it, we've thrown this away now, and obviously Mike, just, what were your thoughts? I know you're not Dennis Adoy's biggest fan in the world, what was your what was your reaction when he got sent off that moment? You know, what, do you recall what uh, you well, felt? I, I, yeah, well, I won't repeat what I said. Um, <laughs> he did it, but it for me it sums him up. It was a bit reckless. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that last twenty minutes is on a par with the last twenty minutes of of uh, the Hamburg game, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, I mean, it's, it was an amazing day and. Uh, you know, it's been good looking at all the pictures today that people have been posting and some of the videos. And I resisted watching the game again, but um, <laughs> I'm sure I will dig it out fairly soon and uh, somehow try and understand how Villa never scored in those end, you know, towards the end. And it's also a reminder when you look at the end of that game how, you know, the lone players this year got a lot of criticism, but then you look at Callis and Norwood, who came on late in that game, and you know they threw everything at the, <laughs> at the ball and at players. So um, yeah, I mean yeah, it's just a great memory, isn't it? Um, and 
And some people say, you know, it hasn't been, it wasn't worth it after the year that we've just had, but my God, it was, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> and Russ, obviously, going back home on the long flight back home, you know, did you sleep on that flight? Or were you still in cloud, you know, on a, literally on another planet? So re- re- I was still on cloud nine, but what was unbelievable about my flight home is that I could not believe going back to Boston, there were foam fans on this flight. And uh, it was just great to see. It was great to see in the airport. So it wasn't just, you know, at Wembley, I was still seeing foam supporters at the very end. You and I went the next day down to uh, Craven Cottage. That was wonderful as well. Mm. And uh, for me, this is something that, again, will always stick with me. But it took a while for me to come off of this high. I, I would say, if I'm being really honest, guys, probably a month. I mean, I was still on a high all, all the way into probably July, you know, because it was just such a great moment. And it's funny because that leads us into talking about this season. Mm. And it makes you think, were the team, uh, you know, again, behind the scenes, were they still on this high? Because uh, it was a tough transition now going back to the Premier League and uh, not a lot of time. And, uh, so it's just interesting to look back at it now because yes, I was on this uh, this high for a very long time, Amelia. Yeah, and the irony is, you know, tomorrow's playoff final are the two teams that we defeated last year, Derby and Aston Villa. Just just very ironic or uncanny, whichever way you look at it. But it's, uh, you know, I wish I wish well, neither team success tomorrow. Is any, but you know, if, I, if you know, if we reflect on tomorrow's game, I mean, there's a team that I'd probably want to get promoted. I'd rather Derby County than Aston Villa. So I'm not sure. What you guys? What do you think, Mike? Any preference tomorrow? Um, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? Really. Mm. Um, I I think I would probably prefer Derby to go up because I think Villa will will have to fire sale during the summer because they're going to financially there being big problems if they don't go mm. up. So um, I don't know. You could spin a coin, you know, draw lots in the end. Whoever stays down, it's going to be a tough challenge, isn't it, for us? Yeah. Um, but uh, that's out of our hands, really. We just have to uh, get on with it. Um, but I suppose, oh, I, I really don't know. I'll fluctuate. Ask me the same question in 10 minutes and I'll <laughs> say I'll let it go up. So, uh, you know, because I, I just cannot take, you know, Derby. I can never talk about Derby without thinking about, uh, 83 so you know mm, no I understand that exactly and I think that's why it's a bit you know either way you know, Villa just don't like the smugness and their arrogance and you know last year one of the most precious moments for me 12 months ago was seeing John Terry's reaction when they they lost that match so um that that would live with me for the rest of my life so I don't know Scott have you got any preference for tomorrow or do you, you stay quite um, neutral yeah. Bit of a tough one, isn't it? You say the arrogance of Villa from last time, and then obviously you've got the thoughts of Derby that stick with you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to sort of think on a footballing sense here from Fulham who's going to be the more threat if they stay down. Um, yeah. I think Derby are in a bit of financial trouble if they don't go up. I'm not sure about Villa. Um, are they in financial trouble, Mike? Do you know, or if they, if they stay down, or or they get out of it with their there's so many investors. No, they would. They will have problems because uh, right. because of the way parachute payments work, and and they're just paying silly money wages. So uh, yeah, they're gonna you know they're gonna have to cut the cut their cloth in the summer if they don't go up. 
Yeah. No, I think I think I think for me, um I mean I would like to see Derby, maybe. Um, I, I said for a while I could see it be a bit of a dark horse. Um but we'll wait and see really. It's, it's best of both evils, isn't it? Really. One of them's got to go up, we're not gonna have a choice about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, well thanks guys for reflecting on your on your thoughts from twelve months ago to the day and uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be other you know, famous moments for Fulham Football Club in the future. But obviously, let's go back now and reflect on the, the survey and the results from the votes from all our listeners around the world. So if we reflect on probably the top award, the Player of the Season award. Now, obviously, all our fans will have seen that Callum Chambers won the Fulham Football Club Player of the Season award, as, as did he for the Friends of Fulham award. So it's probably no surprise that Chambers also won the Player of the Season with the Cottage Talks survey. He... You know, he gained quite a large number of votes overall from all our responses. 52% of fans voted for Callum Chambers as best player of the season, which I think is it's quite a staggering result. I know it's very it's consistent with the Friends of Fulham number, Scott. I think your number was pretty much the same. But I'm somewhat surprised by these results. You know, I think Chambers had a good, maybe a good two-thirds of the season. The first third of the season, he was awful playing in a defensive role. Um, one minute it was in the team, then it was dropped. He, and then obviously found his niche, for a better word, in, in his defensive midfield role. But did he deserve, in your opinion, Scott, to, to win so unanimously amongst our fans? Um, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I mean, the whole season, we it's kind of it's difficult to pinpoint anybody that's been you know, heads and shoulders above anyone else, um, you know, and... A lot of fans, I think, have not really been too too bothered when it's when it comes to voting or whatever because of the way the season went. But for me personally, I just think Chambers showed. I mean, he was on loan, um, whereas some of the others really didn't give a. I won't use the word, but <laughs> Chambers seemed to roll his sleeves up and just get on with it. I mean, I know that he had a bit of a shaky time at the back, but you know, whenever he sort of put that shirt on, he was always passionate about it. He always fought for the shirt. Um, Whereas some of the other, some of the others didn't, and even some of our bigger signings. Um, for me, I think that's kind of where he's won through. I think I think the fans have obviously given it to him because I think he actually did give a you know what. Basically. Yeah, just in, at the end of the day, I look at you know I I gave mine to Babel because I think over the five four four plus months, I know he only played part of the season, but for that four and a half months, he was consistently our best player. In Chambers, although. Over, if you look at it over a course of a whole season, he probably played more games and you know and probably deserved a few more brownie points for those games. He did play well in defensive midfield, but I just you know I, I'm surprised that meant so many people gave him the player of the season, given that he had a very disappointing and and poor start to the season. Mike, I remember you know reflecting some of those early early defensive performances. He, he was woeful at the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've just written down he was the. You could probably say about Chambers, he was the most consistent, least poorest player in the team. <laughs> is one way of looking at it. Because there was no one exceptional, was there? I mean, you know, uh, Mitrovic and, and Chambers played, you know, a lot of games and, and Siri did as well. But, you know, really, it's probably between Chambers and Mitrovic for players who were there all year. And Babel absolutely was, uh, you know, showed his qualities. Uh, in, in short bursts, I would say, you know, and he scored some spectacular goals. But um, no, I, I would have given it to Chambers. Um, I do think he should have stayed at the back or gone to the back a bit earlier uh, with Mawson, but um, when he was initially uh, fit the first time. But 
I won't. I'll tell you one thing. I won't miss Chambers in midfield because it's, <laughs> it's agricultural what he does. You know, he's a Sunday professional Sunday footballer role is what he was yeah. asked to do, and I think you might understand that. You know, go in the middle, run around, make yourself busy, get in the way because he couldn't pass for anything, could he? Really? Absolutely. You know, he tried. He tried hard, and we all like a trier, and uh, that's what he did. But uh, as a Premier League central midfielder, no, not for me. But as our most consistent player, then yes, player of the year. You know, you know again, over to you, Russ. Obviously, Mitrovic, you know, only 15% voted him as player of the season. Now, I, I thought he had a good first half of the season, but by his own standards, I thought we saw a very disappointing second half of the season. I've been quite critical of him where he's missed some open goals. Three headers have been off target. He's he's obviously lost his football boots in the last three or four months, and maybe that's the reason why only fifteen percent voted for him. But what did you see of Mitrovic in the second half of the season, Russ? That sort of well, I think it's a combination, Emilio. It's what you just said. He tailed off tremendously, and he had some wonderful opportunities to score. Was it a lack of confidence? I don't know if it was that, just that he just wasn't sharp. And I also think that at times he lacked. The service, but when he did get the service, he wasn't as clinical as he was at the beginning of the season. So I understand why the numbers are down on him. I voted for Chambers for a lot of the reasons that Mike and Scott just said, you know, played for the shirt, like Scott said. And Mike brings up some good points about Chambers, you know, and, and again, where he began and where he ended, I'm talking about as a player, regardless of the position, I think is, uh, pretty incredible so that's why I voted for him for player of the season but Mike brings up a good point it's you know he really isn't a defensive midfielder he really was brought in to be a a center back so that's not really on him that's on uh, where they found a role for him but he made the best of uh, his opportunity and he played for Fulham and I can't say that about every single player so Mm. for effort and I've always liked players that give you everything that you can. And that's why I voted for Chambers. Okay, interesting. And one thing I think just to call out before we move on to the next award is, you know, only half a percent of, of the fans voted for Sessegnon as player of the season. I know we all, we've all spoken about maybe maybe he's struggled to adjust to the, the power and the pace of the Premier League, but <laughs> you know, our fans, only less than half a percent of fans actually voted for Sessegnon. And, and only one vote voted for one person voted for Angisa as player of the season and then maybe I'm, we can talk about it later tonight but I've saw Angisa probably been the most improved player since he came back from injury around March time and you know Scott from what you've seen of Angisa what does this give you encouragement for next season because you know since the last two months so he's been pretty steady and now I've been his biggest been his biggest credit before Christmas before he got his injury, but you know, I've seen a different different player since he's came back. What have you seen from Angisa? And is it uh, is it fair that only one vote one person voted for him as player of the season? Um, I mean, slight conundrum with him. I I don't know <clears throat> too much about him. I don't know. I mean, he he had a couple of you know a good, few good games with uh, sorry, he had a few good games and then comes sort of better towards the end of the season. But then <clears throat> he always seemed to sort of that concentration. Um, he was a bit of a kind of sort of a mix-up player. I mean, people sort of saying, you know, um, he, he should rip it up in the championship, but will he kind of suit that level with the rough and tumble? I, I don't know. 
he's he's still an unknown quantity for me, and I think um, I think that's the same for a lot of fans. Um, I mean, we don't even know if he's going to stay. To be honest, whether he's going to try and force a move because he feels he's above the championship, um, or whether he sort of stays down there and, and fights. I mean, whether you like it or either way, I mean, we, we've got replacements here if he does go. Um, McDonald, um, obviously, if they bring in Arter or something like that. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a big miss. I do think he's one of the players that, that's sort of come in. Um, he's not really won a lot of supporters. And to be honest, uh, I just don't think people have really given a damn about him, you know? Mm. Okay, okay, interesting. Okay, well, anyway, let's congratulate Callum Chambers for basically winning three awards, winning the Fulham Player of the Season Award, Friends of Fulham, and also the one for College Talks. So, uh, well done, Callum Chambers, and maybe we might see you playing the Fulham shirt sometime in the future. Um, okay, let's move on to the next award. This is now the worst player of the season, and this is, a, again, a fairly comprehensive um, defeat for Fosu Mensa. He was voted... 37% of our fans voted him as the worst player of the season. Uh, and sh- followed by Sherla with 14%, Christie 12 Seri 11 and Kamara 9 So effectively, those top five accounted for 83% of our votes. Now, anything surprising there from you, Russ, from what you've seen there? Would, is it fair that Fosu Mensa was as bad as all our fans have been voting, given these yes. only a small number of games, you know. You know, I gave it to Christie on the basis that Christie was consistently poor for all games he played. You know, I can't remember anything memorable that Christie did in a positive way all season. So, but Fosu Menza had a reasonably good start at the beginning. Then he got his injury and never quite the same player. But I voted not necessarily for the few games that Fosu Menza played. I looked at more holistic as the season, which is why I gave it to Christie. But I think you voted for Fosu Menza. I did because. And no, the way that I'll put it is he hurt the team the most out of all the players that were voting on. That's the way I look at it. His mistakes, his play was so poor, I think it affected Fulham the most in their losses. That's the way I look at the worst. You can make an argument for the players you talked about. I wouldn't put Andre Sherwood there. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Cyrus Christie, I understand. Sari, I certainly understand. But for me... It's Fosu Mensa because uh, maybe part of it is the expectations that I had for him, hoping that, you know, again, that he would be able to take over that role and he never was able to really do what I had hoped. But I just think that uh, he was just so bad at his job. And the irony is 51% of voted for Fosu Mensa and Shutter, both of whom were lone players who will never wear a Fulham shirt again. That's quite half, half the votes just goes to show our recruitment maybe didn't didn't deliver as expected. But over to you, Mike, you know, Sherla, the enigma of Sherla. Now, he's had a lot of criticism from fans. I've seen some of your comments on social media in recent times. Is he Has he been made a scapegoat by our fans? Was he as bad as fans are claiming? Because, I, I, you know, we remember him for many of the goals he's he scored. He's, you know, early in the against Burnley game. I remember at the beginning of the season, he had a hat full of chances and there were times when he actually played passionately and lively, looking dangerous, trying to make things happen. But at times, just things weren't working out. But what was your reflection of Sherlock over the season? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he has got a bit of a raw deal. He was, um, he scored, you know, he scored five, was it five or six goals, something like that. And when he was playing his natural position, which is a attacking, you know, wide player or even more a bit more central, closer closer to Mitrovic. I thought he was fine, but it's a it's a uh, the complete opposite to Chambers, isn't it? So I mm. just said that Chambers runs around, can't pass the ball, 
like gets stuck in, he's a 100% guy, and that's what the fans want. And then you get Shirley, who, you know, has that bit of skill, looks a bit lightweight, and then he's asked by people like Ranieri to play as a right midfielder to, and help Christie out defensively, you know. So, you know, in the top three, you've got Christie and Shirley. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to play in front of Christie, I have to say, but or help him out. But um, So I, I think... It, I think people have been very unfair on, on Sherla. Um, but, you know, we look for scapegoats, don't we? And, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I totally agree. It was as the worst player over the season, Mensa. Uh, for me, he had one good game. Um, but every other time, he's he's got all the skill set. He's got the build. He's got the pace. But it just never worked for him at all. And I don't know whether it was his attitude or... He just didn't know what he was meant to be doing. But, um, yeah, it just didn't happen for him at all. But, yeah, Shirley, I'm not surprised he's in the top three, but I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, I would certainly have put Christie a second. Absolutely. Um, you know, it just it's a level above what he's, what he's good at. He's good mm-hmm. at, isn't it, really? And, uh, you know, I, I suppose the surprise there really is that um, considering how many goals we lit in, you know, that Reem, uh, Le Marchand, those kind of uh, adoy never got more votes. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I think it's the right one, Mensa. And Shirley, yeah, unlucky. Yeah. OK, interesting. Well, thanks for that, Mike. Um, we then, so obviously, Fosu Mensa was voted the College Talk Worst Player of the Season. We now look at the most disappointing player of the season. I think there's no surprise in this outcome and this result. 51% voted for Seri. And I think I can certainly speak on behalf of many fans that before the season started, I remember doing a show with, with all of, I think it was all of you on, on College Talk back in August. But he was a player I expect, had the most highest expectations of when he joined. I was very encouraged, very bullish, heard a lot about him, a lot of, you know, all, all these big clubs were after him. And, you know, I felt proud and privileged that the Cards managed to secure his signing. But obviously it just didn't work out. You know, if, if I go back over to you, Mike... I'm, I'm not. You'll probably agree that you're not surprised with that result. But why did it not work for Serie this season? What what went wrong? I think I think with a lot of these players, um, they're not used to when they come from a foreign league. They're usually the best players um, in that particular league, or in you know, and they're in a top team. And then they come to Premier League and find themselves in a team that's losing, not just every other you know, not every other week, but weekly. And suddenly it's a complete change and you know, what they have to do. And I also think, you know, Syria, I thought early on, showed a lot of his, what he can offer. And, but then we had to go to sort, sort of a bit more defensive. And he could still do a job, but he was like Chelsea away uh, when he lost the ball as well, which led to a goal. And he, he was never high. I, ne- I never thought he was hiding. I thought he always wanted the ball. And he would try things, and there was a few times he showed what he can offer. But um, I have to agree, you know, as the season progressed, uh, he became, you know, very bit part player on the bench a lot. And then under Parker, hardly got a look in, apart from when Tom was uh, injured, or no, or when he had the, the game off. Um, so, yeah, he has been a major disappointment. And uh, I think we're all expecting him to go in the summer, whether on loan or, or we sell him. Um, but yeah, it's been sad to see because he's obviously a skillful player. But mm. uh, when you're struggling at the wrong end of the, 
the uh, wrong end of the league. You know, some of these players, they they just don't show what they can offer. And he was never one to be in the uh, trenches for us, I don't think. Mm, that's a good way of looking at it. I think Sherlock got 20%. So Seri had 51% of the votes, Sherlock with 20%, which is probably what I expected. One, one in five were disappointed with how Sherlock performed this season. But another interesting outcome, and maybe Russ, over, I'm going to pass over to you, Sessegnon and Kenny's combined ratings for this this award was nine percent, and nine percent of fans felt disappointed by Sessegnon and, and Kenny's performances this season. Do you think that's lower than expected, or am I being a little bit harsh, or maybe a little bit overcritical of those our two championship players, two of the players that we had high expectation of this season? Well, Emilio, I, I think that you just said we had high expectations, and I just don't think that in both cases. They uh, they rose to the expectations. You know, I, again, Ryan Sessegnon is going to have an, an incredible career. I'm I'm convinced of it. But I think that uh, at times, maybe I think it's unfair to say the stage was too big for him because I don't think that's the case. I just think that things that he could do in the championship, he saw early on he couldn't do in the Premier League. It's just a different level, and I think I think he struggled with this step up. And I think that happens to young players. In the case of Tom Kearney, it's an interesting one because going into the season, I still was thinking to myself, is he a Premier League player? And I think if he's in the right position, I think he can play in the Premier League, but he needs to be played centrally. And as long as he can do that and and is able to do what he does best, play to his strengths, I think he can play in the Premier League. But I think playing him out wide was just such a, mm. a mistake. We saw that under Ranieri, and I think that stunted his growth as a player during the season. He also got injured. So I think that there are other factors with Kearney, but I've been going back and forth, Emilio. Is he a Premier League player? Mm. I think overall I'm going to say yes because I, I've seen the skill. Certainly know that he can dominate in the championship. So I'm glad that he's still with us. But I think my doubts about him in the Premier League, I think overall, I, I think he proved me a little wrong. I just think that over the course of the season, he wasn't the player that we had seen in the championship. So I think maybe that's where the expectations that he didn't rise to those. Mm. Yeah, maybe just looking at holistic of these results, you know, I'm, you know, maybe there's a bit of emotion amongst our fans. I think what's quite clear in a lot of these results I'm seeing is uh, people voted honestly or have put emotions behind some of the votes or not voting because of their, their emotions towards certain players. Now, I, you, know, I, you, you could argue we had higher expectations of Sessegnon and Kearney. We expected them to be key and instrumental in the successful consolidation of the Premier League. Both disappointed, let's be very honest, like many players in the team, but the fact that only one in ten fans combined voted for them too. As players. Yeah, maybe that's maybe lower than I expected. I expected maybe more more people to have been disappointed with how they performed. But nonetheless, Seri wins hands down the most disappointing player of the season in the, in these awards. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next next question we asked our fans and listeners was best signing of the season. Now, this is dominated by three plays, but actually won quite comfortably by Babel. Babel, 37% of votes compared to 25 for Chambers and 23% for Mitrovic. Now, if I go over to you, Scott... Is there a bit of I don't know a bit of inconsistency here? We obviously saw Chambers was was player of the season, 
Babel and Chambers both coming in as lone players, but but Babel actually won the best signing of the season. You technically speaking, could you not argue that Babel might have been our best player of the season as well as the best signing of the season? I don't know. If there's a bit of inconsistency here. So what what are your thoughts with this outcome with Babel being marked as the best signing of the season? Um, I think it's what you're saying about people voting with their hearts. Um, I think. For me, Babel, when he was signed, even at the age of 32, um, he just looked at the part. You you could tell that he had played for Liverpool, played that level. There was just something else about him. He's professional, he's still had pace, and he kind of adapted to, to the Premier League within a matter of moments. Um, you know, he was a different gravy. I know people had their kind of sort of doubts about Babel playing for Liverpool when he went off, and, you know, he sort of played the Turkish League or whatever, but he just come back and he took it by the scruff of the neck and he showed that he was, you know, a different class just in, in, in regards to how he played the game, how he scored goals. Um, and I think he was kind of come January when I think everything else kind of fell through. And, you know, I, I think he was just a little bit of a shining star in regards to what we had left of that season. Mm. Uh, I can agree with the way that people have signed. I mean, Chambers, again, I think it's more to do with the effort that he put in. He wasn't as a spectacular player as, as, as Mike quite rightly points out. Um, <clears throat> but I think that's the way that one's kind of turned out, really. I think Babel was the best signing of the season, just based purely on what he brought. Um, but obviously Chambers won hearts in other areas because he was a trier. Yeah, OK, that's fair. And if I go over to you, Mike, I think we just mentioned it briefly in one of the other questions about Mitrovic. Now, he... 23% voted him as the best signing of the season. Obviously, we had him on loan last year. We signed him permanently last summer. If this question was asked in January, I'm sure Mitrovic probably would have been player of the season, best signing of the season. But Russ made a very important point earlier that he, his second half season did tell off. What what did you see of Mitrovic you know, in terms of body language, frustration? Did we see the new, what Newcastle fans saw in Mitrovic in the last three or four months? Yeah, I mean, we, um, <clears throat> I mean, he was a sad sight sometimes because he was up there on his own. He worked, he, I'm not going to fault him for his effort. He, you know, he worked hard, pretty lonely job up there, led the line totally solo and, and played so many games for us. But um, you could see it, that he got frustrated. I mean, when you're at one end and you're almost letting in 100 goals at the other end, you know, you, you are going to get a bit. I mean, I've played in Sunday football teams like that, so. <laughs> you know, you, you do get a bit, you know, God, who's made a mistake today? But um, there were a couple of games. I, I was trying to wrap my brain, but I can't remember what it was. And I remember watching him at home for about the first 20 minutes of one particular game. And he wasn't, he didn't look up for it. He just, you know, wasn't really trying that hard. And then suddenly he got a goal. And it's the smiling Mitrovic, the rampaging Mitrovic that we all know. So I think he just gets frustrated, you know. and. And you can see why, you know, he's a couple of years younger at Newcastle. You know, he has grown up a lot. He's been captain a number of times. So uh, he, he should have scored more, though, as the season. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he's, he wasn't as clinical as we hoped. You know, he we probably never gave him enough chances to, to score. But even when he did get those chances, there were a few that he's fluffed. And and that's the difference in the Premier League, as we saw. You know, you've just got to be clinical. You've got to take chances. Yeah, I agree. And one other observation as well, and maybe quickly over to you, Russ, is uh, let's talk about the goalkeeping situation. So, Rika, I think he must, I think he won overall seven Man of the Match awards, full of Man of the Match awards. 
Um, that obviously tells a lot of how much how much he had to work in goal to to keep the score score line typically down and keep keeping those clean sheets for the end of the season. But fans are very split on him. You know, there's this argument Bettinelli versus Rico and who's a better goalkeeper. But only three percent of fans voted Rico as the best signing of the season. What do you what what will be your memories of Sergio Rico going forward? You know, in terms of what he did for Fulham. Well, I thought he was a good shot stopper and saved Fulham on many occasions. But um, my son could catch a ball better than him. And I think that's the memory that I'll have of him. It's the two sides of Sergio Rico, because if he could just catch the effing ball, I think uh, things would have been very different. And he looked very nervous when he was in those situations. So it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde would be the best way to put it with him. But um, overall, I, I I liked him as a player. I just think that uh, there were just his shortcomings would show up at the worst possible time, Emilio. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and again, if you look at Marcus Badnelli, Marcus Badnelli is consistently who he is, and you kind of know what you're going to get from him. I think that with Rico, there was more upside, but unfortunately we saw the downside. Mm. Yeah, I just... You know, it's a shame that when more I've said this a number of times before, I think if Mawson had not got himself injured at half time against Huddersfield back at the end of December, yeah. I you know, A, we would have been more the tight in defence. The outcome of the season might have been a lot different. And I think Sergio Rico would have continued to perform more consistently. I think I saw a downward spiral from that injury for the next three months or so. Sergio Rico's confidence completely shot to pieces. I just saw he, him building a rapport with Mawson in front of him and Mawson leading the line at the back very, very well. But things didn't work out. But unfortunately, uh, you know, we've, we had a goalkeeping dilemma most of last season. And the fact that we had three goalkeepers in the first few weeks, that just sums up um, the situation on, in that position. OK, so let's move on. Just quickly, I just want to give the results of the worst signing of the season. So... No surprise again, Fosu Mensa won that by 30% of our fans, followed by Surrey with 22, Scherler with 18, and one name that we haven't mentioned is Luciano Vieta with 12%. We only saw him in a few games, but, you know, you know, not surprised to see him, you know, up there in terms of worst signing of the season. I know, yes, he was another lone signing, but Mike, what was your recollection of Luciano Vieta and the few games he did play for the club? Um, yeah, it was disappointing, but... Um... I think I said on the last show, you know, somebody who supports the Spanish side, he he played for them, and uh, he was so happy he joined. You know, he's, he's, he really we played him as a wide attacker, and he's a central attacker off of someone. And um, there were games where he looked really good. I mean, Burnley away, <laughs> right in front of us, he had two great chances, which were blocked off the line, and. Uh, I did, the ball just didn't run for him. For you know, it didn't work. He was in the cut. He played up front in that cup game at home uh, with Cabano and Iet. You know, they all mm. had their chance. None, none of them really took it. And I think he disappeared pretty much, didn't he, for the last yeah. two months? So um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I did have you know hopes for him, but uh, we never really. You know, he's gone away. He's got a big move as well. So he's still rated in Spain. But, uh, you know, for us, it's just a loan that just did not work in any shape or form. <laughs> too lightweight for me as well. One thing I took away from him, just too, just too lightweight for this level. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a shame it didn't work yeah, out. Yeah. 
Sorry, mate. Yeah, lightweight, but I just saw him as, you know, that sort of, you've got Mitch Rich and then you've got him. And, uh, you know, they're, they're different players, offers you something different. But um, we just we just didn't play to his strengths, I suppose. And, you know, he was never a wide man. And, uh, you know, and, and that's a real disappointment. I, I would have liked to have seen him and Mitch Rich as a two up front maybe a couple of times, mm. you know, when chasing a game or something, but uh, not to be. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that, Mike. Well, let's move on to something a little bit more uh, in a more, more enjoyable award here. Goal of the season. You know, one thing I certainly take away from this season is that you know, Fulham, despite the few goals that we scored, we actually had quite a few special and memorable goals this season. And the actual ratings from our fans from the survey was, was fairly close. We had Babel winning goal of the season, as he did for the Fulham official Fulham Football Club goal of the season, with 29% of votes followed by Scherler's away goal versus Burnley at 25% and Seri's spectacular goal at home to Burnley with 17%. So um, fairly close at the top there. So, Scott, who did you vote for? And, you know, did you, of, the, of all those goal, memorable goals this season? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I went for Babel. Um, I think the Scherler goal was equally as good a way to Burnley, but then... I think what you'll find is that a lot of fans will compare the two games and what they were worth. Mm. We, all, or me personally, I you know I had sort of condemned us to relegation at Burnley after that kind of shower, um, and it was only a sort of you know it was it was a bright spectacle in that game at Burnley. Um, whereas obviously the Babel goal um, equally spectacular, but it kind of put them out in the coffin for Cardiff really. Um, and I think that's what made it sort of just that little bit better than than Charles at, at Burnley for me. Um, and I think that's how um, people voted on Friends of Fulham as well. Um, I might just about check it while we're here quickly. Um, but I think they went that way. So I put the goal of season. So here we go. So they basically they voted. Um, yeah, it was, Cheryl, it was um, sorry, it was uh, Babel versus um, Cardiff with 3.70 and um, Cheryl at Burnley coming at 30.5%. So, yeah, so same, same, same results here. Again, I think there's an element of emotion. You know, again, that Burnley game, I think many fans started accepting that relegation was staring them in the face. And, you know, I, you know, I voted actually for the Cheryl from a technical perspective. I think the Cheryl goal away to Burnley was, was excellent in terms of quality, but had Babel scored that goal against Burnley as well as a goal against Cardiff, I, I suspect fans would have given the, the Schola goal equivalent a higher rating than the goal against Cardiff. I don't know what your thoughts are, Russ. If you had to, if a different player scored away to Burnley, would they have got more points? My point here is, <laughs> if people vote emotionally that it was Schola who scored, therefore let's not give as many votes to him. Potentially, you could be on to something, Emilio. It's funny because while we're talking about this, technically the most gifted goal would have to be, you know, again, just pure skill. It's Babel. Shockingly, I voted for Surrey. And my reason behind it had to do with, at the time of the season, the spectacular nature of it gave me hope that this was the beginning stages of what we would see from Fulham and also what we would see from Surrey. So I gave it to Surrey, and uh, Surrey's goal came in third. I mean, there were a decent amount of votes for that goal. But um, I understand why everyone, in the end, went with uh, Babel, the people that went with Babel, because that was the best goal. But if you're asking me the one that hit me the most, it was the Seri goal. Mm. 
And, and Mike, over to you. Who did, who did you vote for? Uh, Schurler, actually, uh, yeah. against Burnley. And, and, and similar in some ways, similar to what Russ just said. You know, I was up at Burnley. First half, early on, he scores this cracking goal at the far end. And, uh, you know, you think, oh, this is the game we've got to win. And, you know, which we didn't, obviously. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, for me, it was uh, it, it was the best goal. Babbles was a brilliant finish, absolutely. And Series was great as well. But, uh, yeah, no, Schurler at Burnley. I think what's... Again, if we actually look at the other goals, you know, the Serie versus Burnley early on in the season, that first victory for us, you know, that that gave us hope and belief that we're on the road to recovery and on to get a, a run of games that we could start picking up points from. Scherler's away goal against Cardiff was also very good, as was Chambers, Screamery, home to Brighton, which started the turnaround that game. So yeah, they all had their significance. And the good thing is, you know, at least I think from this miserable season, we can take away a good four or five impressive goals. There's not much that we can we can rem- you know want to remember for this season, but at least we can take away four or five excellent goals from our our players this season. So um so yeah, Babel, another old cottage talk award by winning goal of the season. We move on swiftly to best performance of the season. This is the most tightest results. You know we had we had two two games. One thirty two percent of fans voted against the other one thirty one percent and. Interestingly, Brighton's victory, the turnaround in the second half, won it marginally by 1%. So uh, so over to you, uh, Scott. We only played well for 45 minutes against Brighton and scoring four goals. That that, that was probably the primary reason why 32% of fans voted. But I, I voted for the Everton because I thought overall over 90 minutes, we, we were very impressive that game. We Everton didn't get a chance, but and 31% of our fans thought similarly. No. Yeah, I mean, it's only a it's only a percent between those two, yeah. which uh, I think it's a tale of two games there, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got to sort of look at the Brighton game because we we just looked absolutely awful again. Um, so we come back and storm that second half. It was as if you know um, uh, whether it was rightly put, someone had sort of said something inspiring to, to to motivate the guys to come out and actually sort of you know hand them their ass. Really, uh, <laughs> it's probably the best I've seen us take apart. You know, a team. You know that season. Um, whereas you look at Everton, um, and it was a consistent performance over both halves. And to be fair, I mean Everton were sort of pushing for Europe. I mean they weren't um, you know, not a bad side. They were on a decent run when they come to us as well. I think they hadn't lost in what was it four or five was it or something like that. Okay, yeah, we made them look very ordinary. But I think the Brighton game. Yeah, I mean I, I voted Brighton. I think just because the way that we kind of changed attitudes in the second half and we were a completely different team. Um, you sort of packed all that excitement into 45 minutes rather than over 90 minutes. Um, so that's what got my vote. Okay, lovely. So, yep, so so performance of the season is the second half turnaround against Brighton where we won 4-2. Again, my takeaway from that game was a great second half performance. There was rumours that it was actually Scott Parker who made the changes for the second half. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But obviously, that's maybe the point where Ranieri, it was inevitable that he was going to leave. But Scott Parker apparently made the changes at half time. We went on to win 4-2. But what was disappointing that we didn't we didn't go to Crystal Palace a few days later and and turn up in that game. That, that's what frustrated me. And we should have gone on with a high and actually go in out to Crystal Palace and get something from that game and perform to our best ability. But we just really just lost awfully that day. We were miserable. But uh, but that's the show. Anyway, Brighton home, Cottage Talk, best performance of the season. 
So if I go over to you, Russ, now the opposite, the worst performance of the season, I think, no surprise there, Huddersfield away in front of the television cameras. Oh, totally agree. I mean, that was horrific. And uh, that's when Slavisa was in dire straits at that point. That that match probably was the match that, uh, that got him sacked. And uh, that was just, again, to lose to a team like that, in that spot, a match that Fulham needed, it was just horrible, horrible all the way around. But I do want to mention that in second place, the older match was <laughs> horrible in its own way. That was embarrassing. The Huddersfield Town match was more impactful because of what it meant for the season. But I'm talking about terrible performance. The older match was just right there, too. Yeah, I think... One game, in my opinion, I'm interested to get your thoughts, Mike, is Cardiff away. I thought that was a moment when I realised there was alarm bells ringing. You know, conceding four goals away to an awful Cardiff team. Only 8% of our fans voted that worst performance of the season. So actually, more fans voted for the home defeat against Newcastle as a worst performance than that away to Cardiff. I don't know, were you at, I don't know if you were at that game, Mike, back in the early autumn, but yeah. we were, we were yeah. busy that day as well. Yeah, I mean, you stolen my thunder a little bit there because I actually I was going to say Huddersfield, I wouldn't even call it a performance, you know, so how it could be called a worst because <laughs> a performance means you're actually doing something. We didn't do anything that day. It was awful. Um, Oldham at home was depressing probably more than a worst performance. Um, but I have to say Cardiff pretty much sums everything up. You know, you started with Chambers out of position when you've got a doy playing at centre-back, and then they ended up swapping because Chambers was getting slaughtered. I actually went downstairs uh, to go to the toilet and ended up the whole of the first half talking to another Fulham fan, watching the goals go in on the <laughs> screen. And I mean, it was just, we we were dreadful. And this was against the team who eventually, of course, got relegated with us. Um, and you just expected so much more. But I think some of the failings, uh, from Jukanovic were exposed that game. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, it pretty much summed us up. So I would have, I would have, I tend to go with what you just said, which is, you know, Cardiff away was appalling. It really was. And the one other game, although it didn't, um, I'm not sure if it got any votes, or did it? Uh, yeah, Watford away. I, mm. Very, very rarely in my 41 years have I thought like leaving a game at half time. But I have to say, even though it was, we were one down and then we scored just before half time. It was just a nothing performance again. And considering what happened in the second half, I wish I had left at half time. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just thought that was, for me, the alarm bells started ringing that Cardiff away game, a six pointer that early in the season. And we, we, the way, the, the way we conceded those goals just summed up our season defensively. Just that, that, that created such worrying signs for me that I just think. I'm surprised only 8% of fans voted that as worst performance of the season. Okay, well, that's that's half the awards we've gone through now. The next next three awards that we're going to talk about are some of the more sentiment from the fan. We, we asked the fans to comment on the most memorable moment, most disappointing moment, and most baffling moment of the season. So I actually want to, if we focus on the most memorable moment of the season, I'm going to sort of share some of the themes that our fans voted on. As you can expect, we had a lot of consistent themes here. So many people said they couldn't, they can't find any memorable moments to comment on. So, you know, 
a lot of people saying when the final whistle at the end of the season was blown was a memorable moment for them. Um, the sacking of Ranieri um, was obviously, you can imagine, quite high up there in terms of votes. The comeback against Brighton. Cardiff getting relegated with Fulham was was a key, it was a memorable moment for many of our fans. Um, I think a lot of it is also the, the the despair when we got relegated. A lot of fans voted that there was a feeling of despair when they we we got relegated. Um, a number of fans voted about the relegation party away to Bournemouth, our first away win of the season. That was a, that came up quite high up there. But if I look at specific call outs, which I've gone through the results, maybe I just want to tease out some of the uh, key thoughts in Mike. If I can go over back to you, this. A number of fans also commented on Harvey Elliott making his cottage debut. What are your? How excited are you about this young chap? You know, sixteen years old, nice youngest player to ever play in the Premier League. You know, what, what do you think um, of him? I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I, I mean, he played. He came on for a bit of a longer period against. Um, or I can't remember if he's no, he came on a sub uh, against Millwall. You know, and. Um, in the cup games, so saw him a little bit earlier in the year. Yeah, you're excited to him, just as you're excited about any of these youngsters who come in. And anyone who listens to what I say or or write is, I, you know, I always think we should uh, push the youngsters on more. Um, it's what we do with them once they get in the team mm. and how we prove them is the is the real question. Um, but you know, we're out to see. I mean, it's uh, a bit different coming on for. a a 10, 15 minute cameo and actually making a a, a difference in the league. Um, but yeah, we're, he's one of the few in the sort of younger age groups that, you know, I've, I've got a lot of time for. And, um, you know, but we don't have a massive crop of these players like we did, you know, six, well, five, six years ago. Uh, we just have a, a sprinkling of them and um, we need to treat them carefully. You know, Sessionon's a one-off. He come in, mm. he's played 100 games by the time he's 19. Um, and it's unlikely he'll be this coming season. But, um, you know, he, he is a one-off. Um, we've got to see whether these guys can progress beyond playing 20 games or even 30 games for us. And, mm. uh, you know, see it from there. And he, he is very young. Let's not forget that. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful about this young chap. I think I'm you know, hearing a lot of positive feedback. I think he can only get better, and with more games next season, I think we've got we've got an exciting couple couple seasons ahead. Seeing more of this young chap, so um, so yeah, that's a lot of lot of fans commented on that in when answering this question. Um, if I go over to you, Scott, as well, it's just something we're not talking about. Marcus Bettinelli, he made a penalty save at Brighton over the season. Now. This is this, this dilemma around goalkeeper. Did we miss Bettinelli? Or do we, was Rico any better? Or would it not make any difference for the outcome of our season? For me, I just... I can't see any positives in that whatsoever. I think the whole goalkeeping conundrum over that season was just... wasn't handled correctly. Um, I think we all knew that we needed a um, an upgrade in that area um, when we got promoted. Um I think touching on what we said before, I mean, we've always sort of been blessed with goalkeepers where we've had the Schwarzers, you know, uh, Van der Sars or whatever, where they've been like the Swiss Army nice of goalkeepers, mm. catch, distribute, um, you know, sort of command defences. But of late, you know, we, we've been very busy. Um, you know, one can't kick and when he does, he kicks it out. Where he's armed, you know, one can't catch where the other one could. And, you know, um, it was just all over the place. And it was a kind of position that really, I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm a goalkeeper myself, and it was one of the sort of areas that really, really sort of just frustrated me over the season because we just failed to get it right in so many attempts. Um, I'm just hoping that we kind of forget that now and just move on with next season and hopefully get it right. Mm. Okay. So, um, so anyway, those, so those are some of the memorable moments of the season. Unfortunately, not much to take positive to take away from that, as you can imagine. But if we go on to the most disappointing moment of the season, sort of the key themes that sort of came out from that is was obviously relegation, a lack of fight and passion amongst our team, lack of effort. Again, a lot of bias towards Slavisa being sacked and Ranieri being appointed. So there's a lot of disappointment around that. Tony Khan's recruitment policy, that's obviously being lambasted amongst our fans. Tactics by Ranieri, especially putting Tom out of position, just lack of defensive quality, the home defeat to Oldham, and the Kamara debacle with a penalty against Huddersfield. So they're some of the key themes that came out. But if I pick out some of the individual call outs and something here, I want to sort of get some of your thoughts now. The I'm gonna to go to you, Mike, on this. Kamara. Obviously, we we know what happened back in December, January time. He got sent packing to, to Turkey. He's now being welcomed back to the club. What you know, obviously, do you welcome him back? I actually think we've somehow missed him, not necessarily his technical skill, but we've missed his presence, his physique, his strength, his pace. We won a lot more corners when he was playing the game, we won a lot more free kicks in danger areas. We just didn't have that option in the seconds, you know, since the turn of the year. So, do you welcome him back, Mike? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a, a, I don't know, fans are the right word, but I'm willing to give him, you know time and uh, I'm, I'm quite happy when he's playing you know I certainly wouldn't want to defend against him and if I can just go back to what's a memorable moment of the season uh, you know in a very rubbish season his shoulder barge of Zabaleta um, <laughs> which almost put him into the enclosure is for me <laughs> one of my memories so uh, you know <laughs> he's a, a fruitcake but um, but yeah you need characters as well and uh, but his pace, we just completely missed his pace. And, uh, OK, he might need half the pitch to control the ball, but you give it to him and, uh, you know, he he gets involved in goals getting scored as well. Everyone says, you know, he doesn't do enough, doesn't get assists. He might not get the assists, but he's actually involved in a lot of goals. Last year, he was involved in a lot of goals where he was the, you know, the player two passes before where he'd won it and then laid it off and that kind of stuff. So I've got a lot of time for him. And I hope he comes back and I hope he, you know, gets back into the squad and into the team And um, because he's going to be an asset for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks for that, Mike. And if I'm going over to you, Russ, a number of fans commenting on not giving some of our championship players enough of a fair go, a fair crack of the whip. Now, Stephen Johansson, Ken McDonald, in and out of the team, you know, early part of the season. In your opinion, were they actually good enough to be playing in the, in the Premier League? No. And I think that was part of the problem, Emilio, because I've heard from so many people, why didn't we give the championship players more of a run out? And I just, again, when they did get their chance, Stefan Johansson stands out. He just didn't have uh, the ability. And Ken McDonald didn't have the legs and the pace to deal with with his position, what he needed to do. It just, the division was above them. And that this is why Fulham had the recruitment that they had over the summer because they knew that they needed to get better players because they were going up a level. Mm. And so for me, 
I understand why the recruitment was what it was. And unfortunately, McDonald, who was my player of the season a couple of seasons ago, I just don't think is good enough for the Premier League. So I understand the rationale behind it. He wasn't good enough. I've given it to Kearney now, but I still had questions about him, honestly. But Johansson definitely is not Premier League level. So, you know, and then the part of it, you know, and it's funny, we we haven't even mentioned Dennis Adoy, and Dennis Adoy (laughs) is featuring how many matches for Fulham? He's a championship player. And when he is featuring as much as he he did, I mean, that is really just a telltale of Fulham's season because he should not have been playing as much as he did. He's another one, just not good enough. And I hate to even say this as well, Tim Ream, not good enough. So for me, I think the club knew that they needed upgrades and it just mm-hmm. didn't work out. So for me to say that these players didn't get a chance or, you know, is not true because they were given a chance. They just weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, it's, uh, you know, Mike made the, you know, going back to Mike, you know, probably deserves a gold medal for saying it all throughout the season. If, if we play Dennis regularly throughout yeah, the season. He's right. He was right. You know, he was right. You know, as much as I love Dennis, I love his passion, his fight. He's not good enough. But, you know, I hope we keep him next season. I hope he has an important part to play for us because I still think fans like that passionate design. He's very versatile and that's very important. You need that in the championship. So hopefully we'll retain his services and, you know, he, he could be an important player for us next season. So, uh, but thanks for showing that, Russ. And Mike, I know you need to drop off imminently. So before you do go, I just want to ask you your thoughts on something that's often been called out in, amongst our you know, results. About Kearney, being a stroller, you know, people commenting often that he hasn't, you know, he wasn't, wasn't fighting enough for the team. And a lot of people bemoan the fact that we've renewed his contract or extended his contract. What is? What are your thoughts on Tom Kearney's role going forward and, is he key to our success next season? I mean, if he plays well, we play well, isn't it? And um, I think, you know, it was shown with, as you just spoke about it, you know, Kearney and Session on, if, and even Mitrovic, you know, they're the big guns. And they just about performed okay in, in the uh, Premier League, whereas, you know, players like Ream, et cetera, you know, were shown to be short. So... We're going back to the championship. He's been given a, an extension, which basically means his reduction, is, his pay reduction is probably not as high as it should have been. So his wages are a little bit higher than they would be in the championship than normal. Um, he, he is key to us. And he's got to play in a certain role. But yes, he infuriates me when he falls, when he gets tackled, goes to ground. You all know it's not a a tackle where he should be on the ground. He looks up to see where the ball is. You know, he is a... You've got to, sometimes you've got to tolerate a player like that, and that's what we do. But, you know, there are times when, I, as a captain, and I don't think he should be captain, by the way, mm. he, he really needs to show a bit more guts. And then somebody will turn around to me then and say, oh, yeah, but the goal against Leeds, you know, he was you know, he pushed us. And put, yes, he does. When we're on top. It's when we're failing is where he disappears. And uh, that part of his character was exposed, I thought, this season. And, um, you know, but, you know, this coming season, we'll be winning more games and we will see the Tom Kearney that we know, I'm sure. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that, Mike. And thanks for joining 
the second part of our show. It's great to have you back on here today talking about these end-of-season awards and also reflecting on your memories of our victory, the playoff final last last May, this day last year. So thanks for joining the show. And we'll see you again very soon. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, cheers, lads. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. I'll listen back and uh, we'll speak soon. See you soon. Take care, Mike. Take care, Mike. Cheers. Bye. Yeah. Um, so if we then go, guys, just Russ Scott. The 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 other question I I asked fans was the most baffling moment. See, I wanted a bit of humour as well. I don't want any, all these questions to be somewhat formal, but let's a bit a bit of fun here as well. And again, if I look at the key themes that came out from the, these responses, is Ranieri's appointment was very baffling for most fan for many fans, as was Slav sacking. So again, a lot of a lot of people feeling loyal towards Slavisa and obviously not giving Ranieri a chance from day one. The fact that we didn't let defend, invest in our defence was a baffling, was very baffling amongst our fans. Interestingly, and probably fairly as well, you know, our performances against teams around us were very mediocre to poor. So games that we needed to win, we didn't really perform adequately. Kamara's incident with the penalty, again, high up there with people's concerns. Tactics by Ranieri and basic Ranieri's team selection, as well as Slav Savisa's team selection. Both were, were, many fans were critical of both managers' uh, general team selections. But if I actually look at some individual call-outs here, and again, something we have on focus a lot on, Russ, I'm going to go over to you. Yep. Sacking Stuart Gray or Stuart Gray leaving earlier in the season, how much of a loss was he? Because that's something that people were very baffled. As, why did he go? It's something that we talked about, Emilio, mm. and it was uh, surprising because it was before the beginning of the season. And here is someone that was involved heavily in Savisa's reign. So all of a sudden, he's out for whatever reason. And if you look at Fulham's defense, when he did arrive, the defense got better. Now, we're not there at training. We don't know exactly what's going on with Stuart Gray, but I have to, I just got a strong feeling he was a factor. He returns, and the defense does get better. So is it, you know, coincidence? I don't think so. And it's one of these decisions that I think backfired on the club. Again, we don't know the ins and outs of why he was no longer with with the team, but they did bring him back, which I think was an extremely positive move. And uh, it's one that will always puzzle me, Emilio, uh, the fact that he was not with us at the beginning of the season. Exactly. And again, that's something I thought was worth calling out. A lot of people were just a surprised. And like you said, we don't, like you said, we don't actually know the reasons why his contract was terminated, whether he left or there was a, some sort of bust up yeah, there. We, but uh, Yeah, we don't know. But ultimately, it's quite clear that since he, since he came back, things became a little bit more settled and stability in the defence. But fortunately, it was too little too late. But as long as we keep his services going forward, which unlikely we will do, then... I think we can. We got some more exciting times ahead. So uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts around the sacking or Stuart Gray leaving the club at the season. If I'm going over to you, Scott. There was <laughs> the signing of Markovic. We saw him what once one second half performance as a substitute. Why? Why did we bother? Yeah. Why? You know, why was there a lack of investment? More importantly, at the time in January, was was an acceptance by Tony Khan and the board that. We were going down there for, and they didn't believe in Ranieri. What, what was your general thoughts about the lack of investments in January? Um, well, again, I think we discussed it on the last show. I just think it was um, a lack of experience. Again, we were very amateur about our approach. Um, you know, we seemed to kind of had this thing about, 
you know transfer windows you know we always leave it too late or you mm. know we get enough we don't offer enough money or whatever it is we we, we go about it like a bloody circus and that's the only mm. word i can i can use and i know that sounds a bit unfair because I'm, I'm pretty sure we've got a lot of professionals at the club that sort of deal in, in that type of um, area but you know the january transfer window i think was just an absolute kick in the teeth for all fans because you know we'd endured that kind of start you know we'd endured the season that we were having and you know, we had the outbursts on, on Twitter um, about, you know, multiple signings, you know, this and that, you know, getting fans excited. They're actually, you know, going to do what we can to keep this club, you know, in, in the league. Um, and we serve that up. And I don't think your investment, I think what it is, I think you've got sort of two sides to that. It's kind of, you know, the dire straits that the club's in, no player's going to come to Fulham when they know damn well they're going to get relegated. Um you know, so you've got that kind of um, situation where, you know, you've got to be experienced in negotiations or whatever it is. Um, and then the other side of it is, and I mean, we, we know this, we had players down at Motsford Park that we couldn't get over the line. So again, we've, you know, we've gone about things in the wrong way and we've just completely wasted time. And, you know, to please fans and not, 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 make us look, not make ourselves look stupid, we've, we've asked Mitch in his, um, his iPhone and, and pull in a favour, I think. <laughs> You know, we, we've got this guy in and it's just, yeah, uh, again, for me, another another conundrum in, in, you know, mm. in the trial. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I look back on, you know, I had two baffling moments myself. See, the one I, I commented on was in the Man United game at home early February, we'll, I think we're losing 3-0 at home. And what does Renier do? He takes off a striker and puts on Cyrus Christie when you're chasing a game against a top four team and losing 3-0 at home. I just found that staggering. To me, that's when I, I lost all confidence in Claudio Ranieri. You know, why the hell do we bring on our consistently worst defender all season to come on as an impact sub against Man United? Just that's, I can't, I can't describe how baffling a, a substitution that was. And the second one I had was the fact that we lost away to Burnley 2-1 and Burnley didn't have a shot on target. You know, you know, <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a statistic where a team has won a game in the Premier League and not having scored a, and not having scored a goal or had a shot on target. You know, it's just very, very baffling. You know, it's, so yeah, that, those those were my two baffling moments of the season, and unfortunately, both are very puzzling. But nonetheless, that was a fun, fun, fun question, and thanks for all our fans for uh, for sharing their comments and thoughts on that. Okay, if we then move on to. The last set of questions is so this was one that probably doesn't surprise me because we talk about this in our in our first part of the review of the season. Question at the start of the season, what were you expecting from Fulham Football Club? And 59% expected mid-table security, 32% surviving a relegation fight, and 8% a top half finish. Only one voter out of the many that we received expected relegation and we commented on this in the last show didn't we Russ yep. uh, that none of us expected after that transfer window to have we been anywhere near the bottom three but are you surprised by these results Russ? No I'm not I'm not surprised by the results Emilio because this is coming off of what we just experienced and we've talked about this I did not see this coming and uh Mike, who dropped off, you know, Mike's attitude was always, let's just, the first season, just stay in the league. And like the cons, I was thinking, no, I don't want to just stay in the league. I want to compete just like they wanted to compete. So with the signings, 
my attitude was, okay, why not fight for top 10? And I actually picked 10th. And look how stupid I look now today. But I don't think, you know, again, based on the approach of the cons, I think that also added, Emilio, to why no one saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Because we saw a club that was being ambitious. And you're looking at the league, and I know Fulham had been out for a, a long period of time, but you're thinking you're looking at the clubs around that were going to be at the bottom. You're thinking Fulham are better than, than these teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I think really the um, the first sign that things were going to be different was that first match when you saw – uh, basically, these teams beating Fulham in a professional manner, then you realize, uh-oh, things are really different. And uh, I was dead wrong about this because I saw five, six teams that Fulham, I thought, were better on paper. But the matches aren't played on paper. They're actually played on a pitch. And Fulham did not have a, a well-put-together professional team. Crystal Palace. Watford, they did. That's why they are in the league and they are, I wouldn't say comfortable, but they are mid-table now teams. And Fulham, again, I just didn't see it coming based on what going back to this, the ambition. Absolutely. And this is Sonny, you know, I would like to share these results, all of these results with Tony Khan, but equally this particular question around expectations from our fan, the fact that only one fan of all the listeners right. who completed the, the survey expected relegation, that says it all. 99.9% of fans expected us to, to be in the Premier League next season. That's quite, quite a startling result. Absolutely. Absolutely, um, Emilio. And Scott... And- I was going to say, are you surprised with anything there, Scott? Or are you, like Russ, you know, these results are fairly fairly strong in terms of what the expectations were nine months ago in August? Yeah, I think we all sort of looked at it and thought, you know, sort of mid-table or, you know, if we sort of just sort of survived, you know, a bit like Burnley or something like that. Um, I knew we weren't going to have it easy in the first season. A lot of, I mean, even with the players, you know, a lot of adapting, you know, different environment. You know, different pace or whatever, but I thought we had enough to, you know, sort of do what Burnley did, you know, sort of maybe flirt with it for a little bit, but then sort ourselves out towards the end, um, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think many of us sort of kind of we would get relegated. We kind of did once, I think, the Burnley game had passed, and I, I think mm-hmm. I saw, um, the diabolical state we were in, not just on the pitch, but off, and you know, and divide again within the sort of team, the club and you know everything else going on around it and the chopping and changing the managers, the goalkeepers. I think if I piece it together anything right, there's only one way this is going to end and it's down. But if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, um no, I you know, I, I thought we had enough over quite a few teams there to um obviously sort of finish around about mid table just under. Sure. Okay. If we move swiftly on to the villain of the season. So for every positive there's obviously a a negative question out there, so I'm gonna. This was this was a fun one here, and I think this is a little bit surprising as well because obviously Tony Khan has been lambasted throughout the season about his poor summer recruitment, but that actually didn't win villain of the season. Why actually won 
this award from our, um, you know with all the voters was Ranieri's outspoken comments on Sessegnon and playing Kenny out of position. That won by 41% to Tony Khan's summary recruitment, 39%. To Kamara's te- penalty debacle against Huddersfield won, got 13% of the vote. So are you surprised with that, Russ, that the way Ranieri spoke in public in the media about Sessegnon and his way he played Tom Kenny out of position was was more of a villain set of acts than Tony Khan's summer recruitment last summer. Wow. It's um, surprising a little bit, Emilio, because you would normally go right to Tony Khan, but it just shows how badly it didn't work under Ranieri, Emilio. Mm. And you just mentioned the issues that he had, you know, playing Tom Kearney out of position, the Sessignon issue as well the style of play and what's funny about it is because I don't think he had the players he needed to play the way he wanted them to play. So it was just a huge problem. So in a way I understand that, but I'm I'm also a little surprised that that was uh, ahead of say Tony Khan. (laughs) Yeah. And like Scott, what are your thoughts? Are you equally surprised by this, by this result? Um, yeah, not a lot between it, is there? Um, you know, I mean, it's it's difficult for me to kind of accept one without the other because you know the ownership is is down to obviously employing Ranieri. Um, they you know they would have known what Fulham needed at the time. Um, you know, they were pretty broken um, off the back of obviously Jukanovic or whatever and. Do we already know what Ranier is like in regards to sort of outbursts and the way that he sort of talks publicly? Yes, we knew that. Um, you know, but again, you know, we were told it was, you know, a zero risk appointment. Um, you know, so they've got to take part of the blame for obviously making that situation worse. I'm talking about Tony Chad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I, for me, I, I, I think they both share that um, kind of prize for this season because they've been you know, in it together. Hmm. Okay, thanks for that, guys. And just um, without commenting on the next two questions, I asked the fans about the Jokanovic's you know, and Ranieri's failings, you know, this season. So these are themes that we've talked about at length in many shows in this season, also the one we did two weeks ago. So for Jokanovic, um tactics and team con- selection appear to be his biggest weakness and his defensive style of play, surprisingly, was quite high up there, you know, with a high percentage of responses. Lack of experience was third, and his attacking and expansive style of play um, was a key contribute key factor for his failing. So I don't think necessarily any surprises there. But if we go on to Ranieri, you know, a high percentage of fans felt that his tactics and team selection were his biggest weakness, and his lack of ability of motivating players. So um, some interesting statistics here. I don't think there's any surprises there. These are all common themes that we've talked about at length throughout the season, and it's what this is showing is. Yeah. Again, the overall loyalty towards Jukanovic and maybe not being as fans not being as harsh or critical towards him compared to Ranieri, where there's been little sympathy and and confidence in in his reign at the club. So, um, so that so those are the uh, the key callouts from those two rewards. But the one I do want to focus on is about Scott Parker's appointment as head coach. And you know, if I reflect on the results of this, forty one percent of our fans feel satisfied. 37% unsure, 12% extremely happy, 
7% underwhelmed and 2% unhappy. So generally speaking, you know, I don't think this is showing a, an overwhelming support for Scott, but only 12% of fans were extremely happy with, with his appointment and some either uncertain or generally okay with it. So over to you, Russ. What do you think this says about the fans view of Scott Barker? Seems to be a lot of them sitting on the fence. Yes. I think that's what it says, Emilio. And it's funny because I'm in the 37%. That's unsure. You know, it's actually pretty close between satisfied and unsure. And it just, it goes back to what you just said. Fans just aren't sold one way or another. There are, there is a group of fans that are happy about it, but then there's a group that I'm in that is just not sure if this is the right move. I, I wanted if I'm being completely honest, an experienced manager that not only could get them out of the championship, but be someone that they could build around in the Premier League. And I thought this, again, what they decided to do was a gamble. I know we've already talked about this. And because you're going with someone with not that much experience, but you could say to me, Emilio, you've already said it to me, look at Frank Lampard, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. there are two sides to the coin, but I still am in this unsure category. Yeah. And, if we aggregate, and if we aggregate these these results into two buckets, so if we actually aggregate satisfied responses and extremely happy, it's 53% versus 47 who are unsure, underwhelmed, right. unhappy. So it's pretty much split here. And, you know, it's I'm surprised that only 12% appeared to be extremely happy because, you know, the the wealth of support he had on social media suggested that there'll be more more fans will be comfortable with his appointment. But the fact that we've had such a staggeringly high number of responses and the fact that only 12% were extremely happy with his appointment, that, that says a lot. Maybe people are more confident to vote behind closed doors than actually voting in public on Twitter. So this is interesting, this, this, these, these, these results. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Are you surprised by these? Um, no, not really. I think, like myself, I think everyone's kind of split. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I wanted to see the club make, um, you know, a kind of experienced appointment. Um, you know, someone that's done it before in the championship, no nonsense. You know, we go down, we bounce straight back. Um, but, you know, the argument's been that we tried that with Ranieri, it didn't work. Um, and then you look on the other side of the coin where, yes, you look at Lampard, I think it's done particularly well, um, you know, with half the resources that we've got, talking about money and possibly players. So, you know, you, you look at the situation and if, you know, the Khans get it right in the championship where we retain the majority of our players, they, you know, they back Parker with, you know, good quality players, you know, and, and good kind of coaches around him. Um, you know, nine times out of 10, he, you know, he's gonna, he's hopefully going to get promotion. So, but we just don't know, do we? Um, you know, it could be the complete opposite of Lampard. He could be gone within his first 12 games. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you, you could give some of the best coaches in the world some of the best players and they still foul. It's, it really is a kind of a situation where I think some fans are saying, yeah, I'm happy with it because, you know, he's been at Fulham a long time. And, you know, but I would imagine a lot of them, I mean, they were sitting on the fence. We just mm-hmm. don't know the way this is going to go. Um, exactly. Be a master stroke, it could be a complete disaster. Exactly. <laughs> so, interesting. Let's fingers crossed it's 
he can do a Frank Lampard and he's get us into the playoff final this time next year. But let's, uh, there's a long way to go until then yet. So, uh, so that was it. That was an interesting set of results on that question. And the next next three was mainly just overall ratings for Jukanovic, uh, Ranieri, and Parker. And you know, interestingly, the average rating for Jokanovic as head coach was six and a half out of ten, which I think is extremely high. But I'm going to caveat that, that a number of fans did question whether this was throughout Jokanovic's reign as Fulham head coach rather than this season. Obviously, this was very clearly in the 2018-19 season, so there may have been a, maybe a misrepresentation of some of the votes here, but six and a half out of ten for this season as for Jokanovic as a head coach, I think is quite high. Not surprisingly, Ranieri's rating was 1.9%, under 2%, 2 out of 10, sorry. And Scott Parker got an average rating of 6.2 out of 10. So... Russ, any, any, I think we've talked about this in the last show, generally about how the, 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 the coaches performed. Anything that stands out with these numbers for you? Well, like you, Emilio, I'm surprised that Slavisa's numbers were that high, but I think you analyzed what was going through my mind when you said it, is that our fans thinking of the seasons in past when they're talking about this. I know it's this current season, but... I thought that was a little high. I, I actually thought Scott Parker's was a little high. So, mm-hmm. and uh, Ranieri's, I, I do understand. Okay, that one I understand. But both Savisa and Parker, that was a little high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you agree, Scott? Yeah, I think, again, we've got votes based on last season, haven't we? I think mm-hmm. yeah. obviously holding on to the heartstrings there. Um you know, I, based on this season, I think, I mean, for me, I would have only sort of given Jukanovic a three, maybe. Um, <laughs> and just based on, right on, on that. On, yeah. on what we've seen, that's nothing against what he's done for his last season because I hold him in high regard. Uh, but I'm also sensible in the fact that a lot of what I was watching kind of this season, um, you know, we were getting slaughtered at the back and it comes back to the other discussion that we had where, yep. you know, there was inexperiences. Um, you know, he was just not experienced at that level. Uh, you know, probably changing that side the way that he did, uh, but it doesn't warrant a six. Um, mm. So I think that's 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 the reason why that's gone that way. To be honest, um, Patrick Parker's going to get a higher um, rating because you know he's probably got the best out of that squad. You know, out of the two, um, wasn't all pretty, but mm. you know, um, we had sort of games where we did play as a unit, and there were signs that. You know, sort of players were sort of playing for the badge again, and it was a feel good mm. back. And you know, he was more I don't know if it's just me, but he felt more passionate about the club than Jukanovic and Ranieri. Ranieri just seemed like a ghost ship that was there to, to pick up the salary, you know, and, and then move on to the next job once the job was completed or not. You know, um, that for me just added to the woes of what the club was going through. Uh, but Parker, for me, I mean, regardless of experience, just basically went back to basics, went back to the core of the club, you know, sort of reunite with the fans again, you know, um, give them something to cheer about in a, in a, you know, a rubbish season because, um, you know, we, we did still go and support, you know, we, we followed away in good numbers and, you know, um, and, and I think that's why he got a six. Uh, what was it? He got, I mean, that was six and, six six and a half. Point two, yeah. 6.2. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite fair. Uh, but as I say, we move on for this um, to the next chapter and we see what he scores next season. Absolutely. And it's no surprise that 
the average rating for the entire season by our voters was 1.9. So two out of 10, just under two out of 10 for our overall performance this season. So there's no surprise there either. So, um, so that's it. So guys, I think we've had a, we've, we've actually covered a, a lot of ground today. You know, if we just quickly reflect back, obviously Chambers winning our play of the season, we've got Babel winning two awards for his goal of the season and being best signing of the season. And Fosu Mensa getting the accolade of probably the, the worst player and worst signing in living memory for Fulham Football Club. So, uh, so yeah, it's been an excellent show. But it's been good fun. Um, we had, you know, we had a good reflection on the, the memories from twelve months ago. Russ, you know, what, your thoughts on the show tonight? Well, I thought the show was very good, Emil. You did an excellent job hosting. And the one thing that I want to say is that the way we started the show and then went through the survey, it actually shows the roller coaster ride of being a Fulham supporter. <laughs> because you start off, you know, you're going up the hill. And you are hitting that high, you're going up the hill, and then you're coming down to reality. So it really is a roller coaster ride, positives and negatives. And we went through it through uh, this survey. So I got a lot out of it, and I hope the uh, listeners have as well. Absolutely. Scott, any any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like, like Russ said, it shows you a roller coaster of, of being a Fulham fan. Um, you know, we. we, we take some good kind of statistics from those um, you know, surveys. And once again, you know, thanks for all the people that did um, contribute. We had some very high numbers, um, you know, from friends of Fulham, from social media, um, you know, uh, and obviously, you know, sort of fans of Cottage talking. it just shows, you know, what sort of backing we've got out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they've given a quite a true reflection, really. Um, none of these results have come in as if people have kind of had a laugh or, or anything. They've been quite true to fact, really. Um but yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed going through and, and getting people's opinions. Uh, and like anything, I think we have to sort of sit down and recollect, you know, what we've been through, where where we've come from. Yes, this season hasn't worked out. Um, you know, I've calmed down slightly. Um, you know, <laughs> when we got relegated because I felt that we didn't have to be. You know, there you know, it was a situation for us to build. Um, but I've got to give credit to Tony Khan, who I think, you know, is probably one of his biggest critics. But... You know, they've come out and they've pressed ahead with this Riverside development. Uh, You know, regardless of whatever's been holding it up, they've still, you know, sort of been true to word and they've come through with that. It's given the fans a lot of hope now about remaining at at Craven Cottage. And, you know, when we all look back at supporters, we go back to the 90s and stuff like that when the football really was dire. I think sometimes we do forget them days, you know, Um, turning up at games against Carlisle and a cup. And I think we had 14, shy of 1,400 fans um, at the cottage stuff so you know it's not it's not all bad um we've tried something it hasn't worked um but i think we've got owners that are sincere to the cause um they'll continue to invest they continue to be passionate about the club regardless of their experiences in football and you know they're only going to get better um so you know i've i've had to look at that and as i say calm down a little bit get back to reality and let's um let's get back to the business end again next season and, and crack on Absolutely. Well, it's been an excellent two sets of shows that we've done reflecting on the end of season. So thanks to to self, Russ, Scott and Mike who dropped off earlier. And again, I just want to reiterate thank you for all the Cottage Talk friends of Fulham and all our other fans and listeners around the world who, who invested their time to complete both servers. We're very, very grateful. Hopefully you enjoy the show. And if you've got any questions, just do come back to us and we'll be happy to to answer any queries or questions you may have. So 
thanks again for being a part of our show. So uh, for myself, Emilia Danello, uh, Ross Goldman, Scott Tanfield, thank you very much for listening and we'll hopefully see you soon on College Talk in the near future. Thank you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.